Good morning again, everybody. Today we're going to continue in the book of Acts. We'll be in chapter 11. We're going to try to cover all of it today. A little bit of a good, good section of it, I should say, is, is some review from chapter 10. So if you're here for those ones, some of it's going to sound familiar. So we should be able to move through it fairly quickly. Uh, if you remember in, in chapter 10, Peter had just decided to go to a, a Gentile named Cornelius' home. He, he got to that home was was able to preach the gospel in that home and then baptize a good portion of, of those who, who had heard, which for us doesn't sound like that big of a deal. We talked a little bit the last couple of weeks of how big of a deal it was for a Jewish person to go into the home of a Gentile and to do what Peter did. And anytime you make a decision that, that maybe can be a bit controversial, you're probably going to hear about it. And that's how this section begins, is Peter's going to hear and be questioned about, hey, why did you do what you did. And so this is what Luke wrote in Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. It says this, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Remember, this is a dilemma that Peter himself had had. As, a, as an Orthodox Jewish person, you didn't go into the home of a Gentile person, someone who was non-Jewish, uh, because they themselves and the articles in their home were to you considered unclean. And so Peter had to have this vision that he's going to talk about in just a minute uh, before he would do that. And so I'm, I'm sure as Peter went back home to where he is from, to Judea and then to Jerusalem, he expected this, right? He, he expected to face some criticism of the decision that he made. Again, for us, I don't know that we'll ever be able to fully grasp and understand how big of a decision it was for Peter to do that, to get out of his comfort zone and to make that decision. Uh, we just have never lived in that same world that Peter lived in. But this was huge for him. And like I said, as he expected, I think he, Peter expected to, to be criticized. When you're going to lead, if you're going to be a leader of people, this is part of the territory. This comes with the territory. If you're going to lead, you are also going to be criticized. It's just, it just, they just those two things go hand in hand. Because you're going to make a decision that someone or maybe lots of people disagree with, and you're going to have to own up to that decision. And so, to me, it's not so much that Peter's criticized. I think we could have expected that. To me, it's his response that I think we should pay attention to. How does Peter deal with criticism? We all know ourselves. Some of us probably get a little defensive. That's generally what we do, right? When we're criticized of a decision we make, our, our defenses go up and we start thinking, well, and we, and, and we try to defend that decision with this, 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 this. We give reasons why we did those things. Some of us maybe just blow it off and go, hey, I made the decision. It is what it is. Let's just see how Peter handles this, this, uh, this criticism of him. And his defense begins in verse 4. It says this, starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stood at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. 
He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. Now those who had been scattered by the... Oh, sorry, I think we missed a section right there. Did I go too far? Yeah, we should have 15. Oh, you're okay. I'll get it for you. So as Peter gives his defense, he says this, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them. He had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Peter's defense was he just tells them what happened. He gives them the story from the beginning to the end. Now it's obviously a quick version of the story. I saw this, these animals that were considered unclean by us come down from heaven. God said, eat. I said, God, I can't do that. And God said, no, you can. Don't call what is, what is clean unclean, which of course wasn't it about the animals at all that they're eating? No, it's about the Gentile people, those of us who are non-Jewish. Peter gives his defense, and I want you to hear their response. When they heard this in verse 18, they had no further question, objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Peter gives a very quick defense of his decision. This is what I saw. This is what I heard God say. This is what I believe I did. All Peter can do, all any of us can do, is do what we believe is right. Right? That's all, we can, that's all God ever asks us to do, is do what we think is right. And whenever a decision comes, whatever, whatever time we're faced with a, with a difficult decision, what is, what is the next right thing to do? And all Peter did is what he believed was the next right thing to do by baptizing those Gentile people, saying God is, has opened the door for them. And what I love is a response of those in Jerusalem who had been critical because we've all criticized somebody before. Right? We've all been critical of someone or something. And it's easy to stay that way. Because we were critical. And so we want to stay critical because it's kind of the cause we've, we, it's the flag we've chosen to bear. And they hear the story, a very brief story of Peter giving them what has happened and what do they all do? Say, you know what? We were wrong, Peter. I would have made the same decision you made if I would have, if I would have been there in your shoes. How important is it of us to remind ourselves of that when we get all worked up over something? Is one, collect all the facts. Collect all the data you can. Oh, why did someone make this decision? Put yourself in their shoes for just a minute. And then think about it critically. What we have is people who said, you know what, Peter, you're right. You're right. You did what's right. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I want you to think about, I know it's, it seems minor as we read it in the book of Acts, but how hard is that for us to actually do in real life? One, to slow down long enough. We live in a very fast-paced world where information is coming to us all the time. All the time that we have information coming from all over the world and from all different kinds of sources. It's, it's important for us, I think, to slow down, collect the data, figure out what, what's right, what's true, what's wrong. We get all kinds of information that comes to us that's, that's not true, Right? The internet can be a fantastic thing. It can also be a very terrible thing. And we often get a lot of information very quickly from something. When something happens, that's, that's completely inaccurate and wrong. And so if you make a decision swiftly, just on the spur of the moment, there's a good chance you'll make the wrong decision because you collected the wrong information. Think about what they could have done to Peter when he came back. Peter had been in the presence of Gentiles. He's unclean. They could have said, Peter, get out of here. You're, we're done with you. We've wiped our hands of you. We want no more of you. You've taken all the traditions we've all grown up with our entire life and you've thrown them out the window. Be gone. 
Instead, they say, Peter, we have a question for you. Why'd you do this? They give Peter a chance to respond, which in, in our day and age is getting more difficult, it seems like. We just want to yell at each other. The, the loudest person we think for some reason wins. They pause, they stop, they listen to Peter's story, and then they did something really crazy. They listened and changed their mind. They listened to the facts and thought, you know what? Peter, you were right. And how important would it be for us, the way our discord is today, and the way we seem to be unable to hear each other from different perspectives, to slow down, to stop, to talk, to listen. That's the important part. We're great at talking. We're not that great at listening. Collect all the information and then make a decision. This is how the first Christians are doing that. There's a real dispute here, right? There's some real, and this, this issue isn't going to be over, by the way. We're going to see this again in the book of Acts. This is going to come back up again. This is a huge issue for the church. One of the first big hurdles for the church to get over, and look what they do. They put their egos aside. They put God first. Say, hey, if God said it, if God wanted it done, that's how it's going to be. How important is it for us to do that almost 2,000 years later? to do the same thing, to make sure it's not about us, our ego, any of our preferences, the things we like or don't like, but to make sure we're listening to God and to his spirit and acting accordingly. And instead of, instead of being, oh, dang it, we were wrong, Peter, sorry, look at their response in verse 13. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. The mission is continuing and it's broadening and it's getting bigger. Now the theme changes just slightly in verses 19, 20, and 21. This is what it says. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. <coughs> Excuse me. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. What we're seeing here is what Peter started is now ticking off like wildfire. There's other people who have caught the same vision from God, saying, hey, we're, this message isn't just going to be for this one group of people in this one region of the world. <coughs> this message <coughs> excuse me, is for everyone. It's for everyone. So they're going they're going to everyone. <coughs> Sorry, I caught a cold in Indiana. Here's just a, a map of essentially the known world. The, the green is the limits of the Roman Empire. So, you know, the Roman Empire is, is rather vast at this point. The regions we're talking about here is they've gone, they've left just Israel, Jerusalem, they're up here, they're here in Antioch, and they've made it to Cyprus. So what we see, so what we're going to see throughout the book of Acts, is the word of God is, has started here, in this little region of the world, on the very corner and the limit of the Roman Empire. If you lived over here in Athens, or, or you lived in Philippi, or you lived in Corinth, you didn't even know where this was. You didn't. It's like going to New York City and saying, hey, I'm from Weezer, Idaho. What are they going to say? Cute. Where's Idaho? Right? They don't even know. They don't have a clue. You've been back east where you've done that. Right? If you're, from, if you're from this area of the world and you were over here, people in Athens are, oh, oh, yeah, okay, sure. They don't know where you're from. 
The message began here. It's a nowhere place in the kingdom. Maybe some people might know where Jerusalem is because they've, they've made their way to Egypt, to Alexandria, to another larger city. Most people that live here don't worry about what happens here. The problem is, our message, the message of this Jesus, happened right here. But it needs to make its way everywhere else. It has to start somewhere. And so this, the, these first Christians are leaving their home and they're, they're spreading the message at this point, just, just north here, into Tyre and Sidon, to Antioch, and to the island of, of Cyprus. What you're going to see is by the time we're done with the book of Acts, a good majority of this area is going to have received the message in a very, very short time. So we learn in this section that once that persecution broke out, the first believers in Jesus had to scatter. They, they were forced, right? Their lives were on the line. They were being killed for, for believing in this Jesus. And so they've left and they've gone. And what they've done is they've spread this news to not just Jewish people, but also to Gentile people as well. And this is what happens when the, the church in Jerusalem finds out about it. And the church in Jerusalem is essentially the headquarters at this time. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. We're, this Barnabas guy is being reintroduced back into the picture. We, we saw him earlier in the book of Acts. You will only ever hear a bunch of really good things about him in the, in the Bible. Remember, the Bible is one of those books that is brutally honest. You go flip back to your Old Testament, you read about King David, what are you going to read? He has some great, some, some great triumphs. Right? We all know the story of him killing Goliath as a young boy, of him being, being almost killed by Saul many times and then be finally becoming king. We also know what? About him being adulterous and being a murderer. The Bible doesn't lift its heroes up and paint them in broad strokes that are all rainbows and sunshine and butterflies and puppies, Right? The, the Bible is brutally honest when it comes to about its people. And so Barnabas is, is one of these characters that we come across who is, amazingly is just portrayed uh, as just a man of character and a man of deep faith. And really, without Barnabas, we would have never had Saul, who eventually will become, become Paul. And here this Barnabas is again. And so Barnabas is in Antioch, which is, if we go backwards to that map, there's two Antiochs. The Antioch we're talking about is right here. There's another Antioch over here the one we're discussing here. Antioch at this point, they believe, is roughly half a million people in population, so one of the larger cities in this area of the world. So they're in Antioch, and they're spreading this news about, about this Jesus. And Barnabas is a, is a big part of that. And look what Barnabas does here in verse 25 and 26. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So we'll go back to that map again. Paul was here in Tarsus. And Barnabas is going to send for him, go, go get him, bring him back to Antioch, and they're going to essentially be street missionaries. I mean, missionaries in Antioch for a year. Which during that time, we see all kinds of people come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. One of the things I, didn't want to, I don't want us to miss, though, in this section is I've been referring to the first Christians as Christians up until this point, even though they had not yet been called that. The interesting thing is they don't call themselves Christians. Somebody else does. 
See what this section says. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people, period, kind of into thought. And then tagged in there is this last section of verse 26. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. They didn't name themselves Christians. They were called it. It's the first time someone had, had put those two words, who had put that word together in reference to the first disciples. Interesting that as Christians, we didn't call ourselves that. We were called that by somebody else. We're not sure who. But somebody in Antioch decided to name this group of people Christians, and the name has, has stuck. And here we are nearly 2,000 years later, and we identify ourselves as Christians, which of course means little Christ's that our job is to try to put on this Jesus above ourself, to try to emulate his life, to make ourselves less and make him more, right? That's the goal of the Christian life, is to take on his characteristics, to get rid of the bad in us and take on the good that we find only in him. And this section ends like this. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, one of them named Agabus, which is why would you ever name your kid that, right? I mean, maybe it means something cool, but that's a, that's a terrible name. Sit up. We saw Dorcas earlier. Now you have Agabus. These are like names to not name your kid if you don't want them to not be picked on in school, right? Is Dorcas and Agabus. I'm sure they meant great things in their original language, but in English they don't come across all that well. Anyways, he stands up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for their brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And what you're going to see here is something that begins early on here that's going to be carried through the entire book of Acts. So every time Saul and Barnabas are going to go on a missionary journey, and they're going to, each time they go, they're going to go a little further. They're going to collect an offering from all the people who become Christians or who are Christians in these other parts of the world and bring it back to Judea to make sure that these the headquarters of the church, essentially, these, these followers who are facing the most persecution are supported, encouraged, and provided for. And so we, what starts here very early on in the book of Acts is going to last us the entire way through. We're going to see Paul, who is Saul, and Barnabas, and, and anyone who's traveling with Saul, collecting this gift to bring back to them to make sure that the church is sustained in Judea. Because Judea, of course, is where the church is persecuted the most um, because of the heavy Jewish influence of, of people. What we see in this section of Acts is it's, we're kind of tying some loose ends up. We're kind of bringing some things together. But what we see in this section, like we have seen throughout the entire book of Acts, is a people who are being faithful to the mission they've been called to. Remember, the book of Acts began. We saw at the very end of the book of Matthew, and it happens in the book of Acts, with Jesus telling his disciples to go, to share the good news wherever they are, and they are doing that. And they're getting out of their comfort zone, and they're doing it in places that they would never have gone to any other way. Yet when they do it, what is happening is what we saw here. Great numbers of people are, are clinging on to this message and, and their lives are being changed and transformed. What we saw in this section was that Saul and Barnabas for an entire year taught people in Antioch and it says the church... They saw they met with the church and taught great numbers of people about this Jesus and people's lives are being changed. It's the reason that you and I have gathered here today. To hear a message of hope. If there's anything that our world needs now and has always need, needed is hope. 
need hope. No matter what comes our way, no matter how difficult the journey, the path is that we are walking on, that there is light at the end of the tunnel, that there is hope. And one of the reasons I believe that this message of Jesus resonates so deeply with so many people 2,000 years ago and still to this day is because at the very foundation of this message of Jesus is it's hope. It's hope. And if you don't have hope in life, what do you have? Have you ever, maybe you've been there, maybe you've experienced it at some point in your life, a time when you lacked hope or you were hopeless. I've had a chance as a pastor and, and also a work in, my, in a fire service to be around a lot of people who are without hope, uh, who are in crisis, who are in the midst of, of all kinds of chaos and who lack hope. And man, when you lack hope, People make very, very wild and crazy decisions. Decisions that they would never make any other time, but they make because they don't have hope. If you don't have hope, you don't have much. Remember that the this, this, this simple message, the simple gospel story, is you and I are broken. We, and we know it. We know we're broken. And we've fallen short that we're sinners. But despite our brokenness and despite our sinfulness, God looks at us and for some reason, I don't know why, I haven't figured it out yet, He looks at us with great love. When we look in the mirror and we see brokenness, God says, that can be fixed. So He sent His Son, His only Son to this earth to live a sinless and perfect life, showing us what it meant to follow God with everything we have. And he was faithful to the very end, offering himself as the perfect sacrifice so that our brokenness, our sinfulness could be fixed. This is the same message that you and I, the gospel message that we hear today that was preached to these people 2,000 years ago, and they couldn't get enough of it. We have to have that same passion for the gospel, that we can't hear it enough. The gospel, should ne- we should never stop preaching the gospel to each other. I need to hear it just as much as you need to hear it today and tomorrow and the day after that. Because in that gospel message, remember the gospel, of course, means good news. If, the, if you hear something that's not good news, you have not heard the gospel. If you turn the TV on and there's a preacher spitting and screaming at you and he's, you're pretty sure he's excited for you to go to hell, that's not the good news. Turn it off, right? Turn it off. It's not it. That's not the good news. The gospel has always been and will always be good news. It starts off with a little hurt to our pride. I know we have to admit we're sinners. It shouldn't be that hard to do. But after that, it gets great. Despite our sinfulness and despite our brokenness, despite all the poor decisions we make and have made and will continue to make, I speak for myself, I'm not speaking for any of you, God loves us. And he wants nothing more from us than our hearts. What we see here is a whole bunch of people who hear that message for the first time and who cannot wait to give their hearts to this Jesus and be baptized into his name. The same should be true of us. When we hear the story of this Jesus, we think to ourselves, how lucky are we to live on this side of the cross? To know that all the sin, all the junk, all the skeletons in the closet can be wiped away by this Jesus. And so we come here and we lift our hands and our hearts and praise to him today and every day, just like they did 2,000 years ago. Don't lose sight of that. As we go through the book of Acts, I know it's 
I know it can sometimes just kind of feel like we're just going through them. Don't forget that lives are being changed by the decisions that are being made here. Just like here today, lives are being changed by this same Jesus who is faithful always, who always will be. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, God, that you are so gracious to us, that you love us so much. And you sent your son Jesus to this earth to, to die on our behalf, to be our substitute. God, we are grateful for all these people as we read about in the book of Acts, people who are faithful to you, people who made hard decisions as Peter had to, had to change his thinking, his tradition, how he had always grown up in order to bring Gentiles in. And we see that it doesn't take long for those people to, to enter in, in in droves, God, as they, they hear the good news, that their sins can be forgiven, that they are given a hope that they would have in no one else and nowhere else. It's the same hope we have today. God, we pray for all those, maybe someone in this room or those who are in, out in our community or in our world who don't have hope, God, who are living a life of hopelessness. We ask that you would, would help one of us, if possible, or anybody who calls on your name to, to intervene in their life and to give them some hope. Because hope, God, we know is ultimately found in you. We can put our hope in lots of other things. None of those things are, are true or will last, God. Our hope can only be placed in you. Father, we thank you for all that you do for us and all that you've done for us. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and, and it's in his powerful and healing name we pray and all God's people said.